It's so good to be with you all tonight. This is a little unconventional as we're not usually online, but we're so excited that you would tune in with us and be a part of what God is doing here. And if this is your first time watching a Chi Alpha service uh, tonight, we just wanna say welcome to you and encourage you to fill out a Connect card online. The link is attached to this video. So go ahead and check that out. Fill out a Connect card so we can uh, follow up with you and get to know you. If you're returning tonight, if you're a Chi Alpha student, I just wanna say I'm glad you're back tonight. I'm glad you're tuning in, you're staying engaged. And I just wanna say too that I miss you a lot and I wish you were here, but God is still gonna move through these next six weeks as we gather online and in small groups. I believe that God has some big things for us, so I just wanna encourage you uh, to stay engaged. I believe that God has every single one of you tuning in tonight for a reason. I believe that God has something that he wants to say to you. Here at Chi Alpha, we believe that God is in the business of moving today and that he speaks to us even in the most mundane moments and mundane places. We believe that God is on the move and that God can move in your bedroom or move in your living room or wherever you're at right now, God can speak to you. So I pray just over these next 30 minutes or so that God would just get a hold of your heart and speak to you. For those who don't actually know me yet, my name is Daniel Quimby and I'm the Chi Alpha Director at UNI. I've been doing that for five years. It's been an incredible ride. And I have a wife named Emily and a daughter named Jane and a son coming here in June. So we're excited about that. This fall, we're gonna be stepping back from our Chi Alpha role and actually planting a church in the Cedar Valley called Sent Church. Okay, that's the idea, Sent Church, because we believe that, that Jesus has sent us to the Cedar Valley to give people an opportunity to know him. In John 20, 21, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So that's the idea of our church is we wanna be a people on mission to our community. And we just wanna say too, if God is tugging at your heart to be a part of our church plant, please get in touch with us because right now we're building a launch team that can help us get that church going. So we're so excited about what God is going to do. It's been a crazy couple of weeks. I gotta be honest with you guys. At first, when the coronavirus stuff started coming out, I was kind of, uh, one of those people saying, you know, it's just the flu. It's not gonna be a big deal. And I was just kind of hoping it would go away. And then two Wednesdays ago, I was having a staff meeting with our Chi Alpha team and it was a time of prayer and I got a text from a friend saying, hey, you need to call me right now. And I called my friend and I found out that the coronavirus is getting worse and that uh, the people of Trinidad where we were, uh, were going to take our mission trip did not want us to come because of the virus. So we had to cancel our trip. And that's when I began to realize that this thing is very serious that's going on in our world. And as I processed this, this crisis we're going through as a people, I've had a couple different emotions. I've kind of been going back and forth. So one emotion is just completely overwhelmed. Okay, so a few months ago, God called us to plant a church in the fall of 2020. And I'm thinking, God, what are you thinking asking us to plant a church when there's a global pandemic going on and we potentially won't be able to meet in groups of 10 or more. That doesn't sound like fun to me. That doesn't sound easy to plant a church in that environment. So I've been overwhelmed at times. I've also been trying to figure out or how do we do Chi Alpha in the midst of this? But then I kind of swing to this other end where I get hopeful, where I become weirdly confident. It's where like the Holy Spirit gives me this boldness and this confidence. And he says to me, Daniel, I'm doing something in this hour and I want you to be a part of it. So it's kind of this or this wave of emotions I'm going back and forth between. And one thing I've noticed is humans don't typically change unless a crisis hits or a big event happens in their lives. As humans, we're a creature 
of habit. We like to do what we've always done. We don't like to change for the most part. It usually takes a crisis, whether personal or a broader crisis like we're going through, for us to change and specifically for us to experience spiritual transformation. A crisis, what it does is it humbles us and it causes us to realize that we need God, that we're desperate for him and we can't do it without him. Like when life is going as usual, we think, oh, we're good. We can do this on our own. We don't really need God. But then when a crisis comes, it creates this need in our hearts. And, and in that space, God can move. That's what happens is our hearts begin to be humbled and then we become more desperate for God. And then God moves in that space because it says in James chapter four that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that's why crises can actually lead sometimes to spiritual transformation. For me, it took a crisis moment for me to get serious about my faith. I've always been a Christian. I've always loved Jesus, in quotes there, right? But I didn't get serious about my faith until after I graduated high school. Before this moment that I had, this this crisis moment that caused me to change, before that moment, I tried to ride the line of being a Christian but still being my own God and being the own master of my life. I wanted the kingdom, but I didn't want the king. I didn't really want, you know, Jesus to rule my life, I more just wanted his benefits, like salvation in relationship with him. I would go to church on Sundays, and, but it didn't change the way I lived throughout the week. Throughout the week, I would party, I would talk perversely, I would just do things that would not please the Lord, but then I would go to church on Sunday and try to be a part of the Christian community. And despite my spiritual apathy, I, I did still have some standards for how to live, right? We all have standards, we all have a metric of how we should live. I had some things I said, okay, don't do this, don't do that. And if you do that or that, then you're going to become a terrible sinner and God's not going to love you. That was kind of what was going on in my head. And for me, it took me crossing those lines, breaking those standards for me to have a crisis moment that created humility for God to move and to actually change my heart and to take me from being someone who was just, or just about being religious and just kind of doing just enough to be in relationship with him to being someone who was all in for him. So what happened was I had this moment where I hit rock bottom And I thought, could Jesus ever love me after I crossed all my own boundaries, after I sinned in all these different ways? And I was desperate for God. I was crying out for him. I was saying, Jesus, could you still love me? Even though I'm so messed up, even though I've crossed all these lines. And in that moment, Jesus changed my life because I realized that he loved me even in the midst of the mess, even as it hit rock bottom. And that transformed me. When I encountered that kind of love that I did not have a paradigm for before, it just completely wrecked me in the best way possible. And I told Jesus, I said, if you love me, even at my lowest, then I'm gonna give everything for you. I share this to say that my crisis actually led to my awakening. Before, I thought I could earn God's love. I thought I was good on my own. But then once I got to this place of emptiness, Jesus met me in that humility and that desperation, and he completely changed my life. I share this to say that although God has not caused the coronavirus, And although I don't believe God is actively judging us through it, I do believe that God is serious about using the coronavirus to create a crisis moment. He's not creating it, but to use the crisis moment there to lead to global change. Because God only moves through his people when they get desperate for him and they become dependent upon him. Over the past couple years, I've seen an increased desire amongst the church global for revival. I've been hearing more about revival from church leaders and worship teams and and different denominations. People saying, hey, we need revival in our generation. 
And the question is, what is revival? Well, revival is when God just moves in a powerful way in a short amount of time. He begins to, or to awaken the church to his realities, to his love, to his power, and the church goes out and reaches a lot of people in a short amount of time. That's what revival is. And I've been seeing it. I've been hearing worship songs about revival. I preached a sermon series about revival at the beginning of this year. I've seen pastors talking about it more than I ever had before. But the thing about the revival that I think the church has been praying for is I don't think the revival can come unless there's a crisis because a crisis creates dependence, it creates humility. And although I do not believe that God has caused this crisis, I believe he wants to use it to stir up an awakening within the church and to bring many people to him, for people to realize that they are not good enough to be God, that they can't do it on their own and they need Jesus. They need him to come in and to change their lives and to be their king. But for it to be that, for God to use this virus and this crisis to change the world, we have to lean into what he wants to do. We have to ask him, God, what are you saying in this hour? And how do you want us to respond? Because it takes the church hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit and responding in the way that God wants them to. And tonight we all tune in at different places in our spiritual journey. There's some of us that are going after Jesus and and this crisis hit and, and sure it's concerning to you, but you're asking God, hey God, what do you wanna do in this crisis? And I believe tonight that, that God's gonna speak to you, that he's gonna give you a little bit of a game plan. I'm not saying that I'm gonna give you the game plan, but I think that the Holy Spirit is gonna speak to you as I preach his word. And there's others of us tonight who are Christians, but if you're honest, you're full of fear right now. And you're completely unsure about what God is doing in this moment. If that's you, I wanna encourage you that, that God is not surprised by this virus and he has a purpose for you in the midst of it. It's okay to be afraid, it's okay. It's okay to be unsure right now. I'm afraid a little bit, right? I'm unsure about what's gonna happen. I'm trying to plant a church in the midst of this crisis. But know tonight that each of us who are followers of Jesus can have confidence in God. We can have confidence in him because he is completely good and loving, 100% good, 100% loving. His character is trustworthy and he has good intentions or good intentions for our lives. And at the same time, he's completely powerful and he's able to do anything he wants to do. So if God is 100% good and 100% powerful, we can trust him in this moment. And lastly, there's some of us tonight who are not Christians and you tuned into this, or perhaps because one of your Christian friends shared this and it popped up on your newsfeed, or maybe you are curious about spiritual things. This crisis has begun to kind of stir your heart to ask some questions. And I'm thankful that you joined us tonight. I just wanna say that I'm thankful to, or for the fact that you're taking the time to listen in and, and to hear what God's saying. And I just pray that God would speak to you tonight, all right? So the title of our message is, This Is Our Moment. This is our moment. That's the title of tonight's message. I believe God gave me this word, and I called it, This Is Our Moment, not because I think the coronavirus is some great event or great moment. It's not a great moment. It's from the pit of hell, okay? However, I titled it this because God has uniquely placed each of us on the earth in this moment in history for a reason. He decided that he's gonna place you on the earth during the coronavirus crisis in 2020 for a reason. He has something for you and for me in the midst of this moment. And our priority in this crisis has to be, God, what are you doing and what do you want us to do? That has to be our priority. We cannot hide out. We cannot just wait and see what happens. Instead, we need to boldly engage and embrace the moment and say, God, what are you asking me to do? As I prayed about this sermon, I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me to Esther chapter four. I've never preached on Esther, so bear with me, but I think God has something for us in the book of Esther. So if you wanna turn there with me to Esther chapter four. 
Esther is a relatively obscure book in the Bible. It was actually one of the last written books of the Old Testament. It was written sometime in the 400s BC, during a time when the people of Israel were actually in exile throughout the Persian Empire. Our story opens by telling us that the king of Persia had his first queen killed, and he chose a new queen, which happened to be a Jew named Esther. Esther was raised by her cousin Mordecai, and sometime into her reign, Mordecai uh, was asked to bow down to one of the officials in the kingdom. His name was Haman, but, but Mordecai said he would not bow down. You know, Jews throughout history, the people of God throughout history have said, we're not bowing to anyone other than the true God, and that's what Mordecai was saying. And Haman was ticked off about this, and he responded by saying, I'm gonna kill all the Jews, which seems a little bit drastic, buddy. But anyways, he says, I'm gonna kill all the Jews. I'm gonna exterminate them. And, and Mordecai hears about this, and he becomes concerned, obviously, and, and he tells Esther that she, that she needs to go to the king and ask him to not kill the Jews. She needs to go stand in the gap for the Jews and ask the king not to do what he's planning on doing. And there's so much risk involved in this for Esther because Esther was not supposed to approach the king unless he asked her to approach. And she was a Jew, so Esther was faced with the hard choice of how to respond to the crisis. I think Mordecai's actions and I think Esther's response give us a blueprint for how we are called to respond in the midst of our own 21st century crisis. So let's pray and then we'll jump into it. Jesus, tonight, I just pray that you would speak. Holy Spirit, we know that you are in the business of moving in hearts today and you're not confined by a computer screen. You're not confined by a TV. You're not confined by us being in proximity with or with each other, but instead, Holy Spirit, you can speak at any moment in any place. And tonight we ask you to speak. God, we pray that this would not be my words, but this would be your words. I pray that, that this would be a word from heaven and that people would be encouraged and challenged tonight. All right, God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Esther chapter four, verse one through three is where we're starting. It says, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and ashes and he went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. And he went up to the entrance of the king's gate for no one was allowed to enter, their, or to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting. And many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. The first point tonight is this, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are. In this crisis moment, we need to repent of our misplaced trust and seek God with humility. In this crisis moment, we need to repent of our misplaced trust and seek God with humility. When, when Mordecai heard that Haman was going to have the Jews exterminated, he responded in a courageous way. He could have responded by running away or trying to protect himself or trying to mount up an army to take them down, which wouldn't have worked. But he responded in a counterintuitive, courageous way. He knew that God was calling him to lay himself down in humility for the good of his people. And the first thing he did is he goes into the middle of the city. So he's not hiding at all. He's in the middle of the city. He puts on sackcloth and ashes for all to see. And he cries out this loud and bitter cry. And the Jews followed suit and they embraced the spirit of mourning. They fasted, they wept, and they lamented. They were beside themselves and they put all their hope, all their weight, and all their trust into God. They knew that they had no hope unless God moved in this moment. 
I doubt that there's any of you at home who are wearing a sackcloth or putting ashes on your head right now. And that's okay if you're not, all right? That'd be weird. But the question is, what does it mean to put on sackcloth and ashes? Throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites would put on sackcloth and ashes as a sign of mourning and repentance. It was a sign of humility before God. It was an outward sign of an inward reality, what was going on in their hearts. If someone wanted to show, hey, I'm repentant right now, I'm sad right now, they would wear sackcloth, sit in ashes, and put ashes on top of their head. It was meant to show that the heart of the one, or the one wearing the sackcloth was broken before God and full of grief and repentant. If you don't know what repent means, repent simply means to change one's mind. And true change of mind results in a change of action. So we could say repentance means a change of mind that results in a change of action. When, when Mordecai learned that his people were going to be exterminated, he did not try to protect himself. He did not try to raise up an army. Instead, he had a change of mind, a change of action. And he repented on behalf of Israel and cried out for God to come through on their behalf. With our crisis, I believe we should respond in a similar way. It's tempting to act like it's no big deal and just continue living life the same way as before. It's tempting to get prideful and arrogant and just say, ah, it's nothing. And then once it's over, we're just gonna want everything to go back to normal, just to kind of wait it out. We're just gonna wait it out. That's what we're thinking. You know, that's nothing. And I believe that God wants us to realize the, the gravity of what's going on. Some people are saying that this is the biggest crisis since World War II. This is a big deal, and I think God wants us to realize that tonight. This is not something to just brush off and just say, oh, it's nothing. But I think the other way that we're tempted to respond is to be full of fear and to doubt that God can move in the midst of this, to be given over to anxiety and isolation. We're tempted to go into self-protectionism and defend for ourselves and just try to wait this thing out. And then once it's over, again, we just want things to go back to normal. I also think that's wrong. Instead of these improper responses, I believe that God wants us to respond like Mordecai and to lay ourselves out before God and repent and ask him to move in 2020. But the question is, what should we repent of exactly? What are we repenting of tonight? I think we need to repent of misplaced trust. I think we need to repent of misplaced confidence. I think we need to repent of relying on the wrong things for our joy and our satisfaction we're supposed to find all of our confidence, all of our joy in God. And yet this virus has revealed that there's many of us, including myself, who at times find our confidence in things other than God. Instead, we find our confidence in his gifts. And God loves to give good gifts, right? He loves to give. God is a giver. He gave us Jesus, right? And God wants us to enjoy his gifts. And James 1.17, it says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, it says that God gives us everything for our enjoyment. God loves to give. He loves to give good gifts. And some of the gifts we've enjoyed in the West are economic stability, the ability to go to school, a plethora of entertainment options. I'm telling you guys, at night when I'm trying to pick something to watch, there's just too much to choose from. I cannot decide. I just scroll, scroll, scroll until I fall asleep. There's so many options. There's so many churches to choose from. Right? Some of us are like, hey, what church am I going to this week? I'm gonna go this one, then that one, then that one, then that one, right? Because there's so many good churches to choose from. And God loves to give us these things. It's not a bad thing to have, you know, a ton of churches to choose from. We're starting another one, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But we do not want to put our hope in these things. God does not want us to put our hope in any of his gifts. 
I think this virus has revealed that there's many of us who are putting our hope in the wrong places. And you're wondering right now, am I putting my hope in the wrong place? How do I know if I'm doing that? Well, the way you know if you're putting your hope in the wrong place is how you respond when that thing gets taken away from you. Like, how do you react when that thing is no longer available for you? For example, if you fell into despair when March Madness was canceled, like you just like put sackcloth and ashes on, then you probably rely on sports too much. I'm just gonna be straight with you, all right? If you're panicking about the crash of the stock market, then you're putting too much hope in money. I'm telling you guys, my retirement has went, so I get it. I've been watching the stock market too, but we can't put our hope in that. If you felt like college was all for nothing when your commencement got canceled, then I think you put too much hope in that moment. Or can I get more serious, or not more serious, but more personal? Guys, my last Chi Alpha service in person was two Tuesdays ago. I had no clue it was my last service after five years of being the director, after two years before that of being a student. I had no clue. It was a very lowly attended night. I think it was like the lowest attended night in a couple of years because of the coronavirus and because of the spring break coming up. And the atmosphere in the room wasn't great. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Like it was a good night, but it just wasn't our best night. And I didn't get to have that great moment where I get to walk off the stage as the director, leaving and passing the baton onto my brother. And at first I was a little disappointed, but God really challenged me and said, Daniel, you don't need recognition on a Tuesday night. Okay, your work is gonna live on through these students. You don't need to have some moment where they send you off. Guys, we can't put our hope in these things. We can't put our hope in the things of the world. I'm almost grateful that God took that from me. Or God didn't take it from me, but I'm thankful that it didn't happen. Because it's teaching me to put my hope in other things. My hope is in Jesus alone. My hope is not in worldly recognition. My hope is not in fame. It's not in money. No, it's in Jesus alone. He is the only safe place to put our hope. He's the only place we can put our hope. He's the only one who will never fail us. He's the only one who's constant, who's always gonna be there. Nothing's gonna cause him to run out on you. He is worth putting your hope in. He is able to hold up your hope. He's the only person who can actually carry the weight of your hope. The only place we can put our hope is in the fact that that Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, God himself came to earth and he gave his life for us. Each of us have sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus paid the price for our sin. And not only that, he didn't just pay the price, but then he went into a grave and he came up out of that grave three days later. He declared death defeated. He said, death no longer has a sting. And that's great hope in this time of the virus, right? Because it could get very, or it's going to probably get worse here in the next few weeks. And it could start to affect some of us in a greater way. And we need to know that our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he declared death defeated. Satan may be having a good day with the virus, but Jesus is going to give Satan a bad day for eternity because he defeated death. And we need to put our hope in that. That's the only secure place to put our hope. Sports Academic success, recognition, getting to have gatherings for church, those are not good places to put our hope. During this time of social distancing, Jesus is calling us to repent of our misplaced trust and put all of our hope into him. He's calling us to lean into him and throw all of our weight into him. He's calling us to seek him with everything we got. This is the time. If you're wondering, hey, when's the time to seek Jesus? It's now. Like Now is the time to seek Jesus with everything you got. Just like Mordecai, he's not calling us to ignore the problem. He's not calling us to give in to fear. Guys, we need to recognize that there is a problem and we need to use wisdom and, and follow, or follow the government's guidelines. At the same time, we should not follow in fear, but instead should be confident in the power and the goodness of God. We should put all of our emotional 
energy into fixating our heart on Jesus and getting to know him. And as we get to know his heart, we'll find that he has our best interests in mind, that he is for us and that he's a safe place to put our trust. He's infinitely good and he's infinitely powerful. He can do something about his intentions. He doesn't just have good intentions. He can actually do something about it. He can do the impossible. And as we seek Jesus during this time and as we repent of this misplaced trust, it's just gonna transform us. I believe that. I believe that that's what God has for the church in this hour, for the church to seek Jesus with everything they have and everything we have. Let's respond like Mordecai. Let's lay ourselves out in repentance and humility before God. Let's make it a priority to read his word, to pray, to spend time in virtual Christian community, the new thing, right, on Zoom or whatever, and to worship God even in the midst of this crisis and this uncertainty. But Esther's and Mor- or Esther and Mordecai's story doesn't just show us that we should respond with humility and repentance. It also shows us that uh, we're called to respond with bold and loving engagement. So let's read the rest of this passage. It's a, it's a bit long, but hang with me. Okay, so verse four through 17. It says, when Esther's young women and her, and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed and she sent garments to clothe Mordecai. She's like, hey, put a shirt on, bro, so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. And then Esther called for Hathak. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. I should have looked it up. And then one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. And Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gates. And, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. And Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak, I'm telling you that, I should have looked it up, and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, all the king's servants and the people of the king's province know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I've not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Come on, somebody. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go and gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women, I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, those against the law, and if I perish, I perish. And then Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Second point, in this crisis moment, we need to courageously engage the world with the love of Jesus. In this crisis moment, we need to courageously engage the world with the love of Jesus. When Mordecai heard of Haman's plans, he knew that he needed to get Esther's attention. He knew that God was calling him to act and to use whatever influence he had to save the Jews. And he was afraid, surely he was afraid but he didn't allow his fear to cripple him. Instead, he looked his fear in the face and made a decision that he was going to choose courage even in the midst of it. And once he got a 
hold of Esther, she told him that it was too dangerous for her to approach the king and, or because he had not called her in and that she would be put to death because of that. And just as Mordecai had looked fear in the face a few moments earlier, he called Esther, he said, hey, you need to look fear in the face as well and choose courage in the midst of this. In verse 14, I love this. It says, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance is going to rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Essentially, he told her, if you don't do something about this, you're gonna die and God's gonna use somebody else to deliver the Jews. If you don't do something, if you don't seize this moment, God is gonna use somebody else. That's my biggest fear, guys, that God would overlook me because I'm not willing to rise up in the midst of uncertainty and be the man that God has called me to be, to be the leader that he's called me to be, to be the mouthpiece for him that he's called me to be. That's my biggest fear. The question is, are we going to be a part of God's plan? Or are we gonna be used by God to bring deliverance? Then he says my favorite line in the story, and, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai called Esther up higher. He said, this is your moment. God has placed you in the position you're in for this moment. Don't miss it. Do not miss it. Esther, digging down deep within herself, decides to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, to hear God, and to risk it all for the sake of her people. And she decides to, or to not run away from the moment, but to engage the moment with boldness. In verse 16, she says, then I will go to the king, though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. I love that boldness. I believe Jesus is calling us to embrace the spirit of both Mordecai and Esther in this moment for us to recognize that God placed us in our specific spheres of influence for such a time as this, and he wants to use us in this moment. He wants to use us to bring the world the love of Jesus. This idea of rising up in the moment and seizing the moment to hear what God's saying and to do what he's calling you to do reminds me of William Wilberforce. This guy lived in England in the 1700s, and when he was a teenager, the English traders were just raiding the African coast. And, and, and every year they were uh, rounding up 35,000 to 50,000 Africans a year to bring into slavery. The economy of Great Britain was relying upon the slave trade and nobody thought that, any, nobody thought that anything could be done about it. And, and William became a member of, of parliament and in his first few years, he didn't really do anything. He just kind of hung out, he just voted, right? He just voted president or whatever. And he fell into a time of depression during a season of reflection as he was kind of asking himself, what am I doing with my life? And then on Easter morning in 1786, he experienced a spiritual rebirth and God just spoke to him. God just renewed his spirit. I believe that's gonna happen tonight for some of you at home, that God's gonna just awaken your spirit. And he fell in love with Jesus. And it was after this that he wanted to do something about slavery. He wanted to use his life to abolish the slave trade. He says this, so enormous, so dreadful, so irremediable did the slave trade's wickedness appear that my own mind was completely made up for abolition. And let the consequences be what they would. I, from this time, determined that I would never rest until I had effected the abolition. Come on, somebody, that's good. That's so good. It sounds so much like what Esther said. In his efforts, he was avidly opposed 
for years. And, and pro-slavery forces would target him and, and vilify him. He started actively fighting it in 1789 through legislation. And it wasn't until 1807 that he had victory in parliament abolished the slave trade. I share his story to say that I believe that he heard the same call that Esther heard 2,100 years before. I believe he heard God saying, saying, William, you were called for such a time as this. And I believe that same call is ringing out to the global church in this moment. You were called for such a time as this. I placed you on the earth during this moment for a reason. I believe the call of Jesus from John chapter 20, verse 21, that's inspired our church plant is ringing out across the world. It says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. God's saying, first receive some peace. You need some peace right now. So receive the peace that's available when you're a son or daughter of God. Experience that love. And then out of that, go into all the world and bring the love of Jesus to everyone who will hear it or to everyone who will receive it. For, or for, what, or for whatever reason, God has allowed the coronavirus to break out in 2020. Although, again, he has not caused it. He's not the author of evil. He has allowed it. And I believe he wants to use evil for good. But the question for you tonight is this, what role are you going to play? That's the question for me. What role am I going to play in this moment? Are we gonna act like nothing's going on? and go on as business as usual and miss what God is saying in this moment? Are we gonna wallow in fear and hold out until it passes? Or are we gonna be like Mordecai and Esther and look fear in the face, tell it who our God is, choose courage and rise up in this moment and be the people that God has called us to be. If you're a follower of Jesus, God has given you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside and God wants you to be his representative on the earth in these days. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, it says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I believe that in this moment, God is calling us to be his witnesses like never before in our lifetimes. Tonight, we have to hear what God is saying and rise up. But the question is, what is God saying? And I can't attempt to answer that in its entirety for you tonight. But I think that God, the big thing he wants for us is he wants us to boldly engage in this moment and to lay aside our self-interest, our temptation to just preserve our own lives and instead say, I'm laying out my life for the sake of the world. And not just in this crisis. This crisis will pass. It's gonna pass to encourage you. It's gonna pass. It might take a little bit of time. But to continue doing that even after the crisis is done, to decide to not sit on the bench when it comes to our faith, but to get in the game and to kick back the gates of hell. I believe God is calling us to do that. So what does that look like in this season of the coronavirus? I think first we have to utilize the resources that God has given us to love our community well. So I think we need to talk to our city and say, hey, what do you, or in this time, what do you need from us? What do you need from us as a church? And to engage, and that's what I'm planning on doing. I'm planning on leading Chi Alpha and our church to boldly engage in Cedar Falls and Waterloo. And I think wherever you're at, God is calling you to do whatever you can, whether that's helping out a neighbor, whether that's, you know, giving food to the food bank, whatever. I don't know what it is, but, but God is calling you to help and, and to love your community. I also think that God is calling us to share Jesus with people who don't, or who don't know him yet. I believe that people are gonna be more open to Jesus now than they have been in the last several decades. 
I believe that. And God wants you to rise up in this moment to use uh, your mouth or to use your, your fingers to type up a message and to share the love of Jesus with your friends. This could look like leveraging social media to share the gospel, to share scripture, to share encouragement. It could look like checking in on your friends who don't know Jesus and saying, hey, what do you need from me in this time? How can I help you? It could just look like seeing if they're okay and seeing perhaps if they're open to a spiritual conversation. I believe God is also asking us in this moment to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. I think it's tempting to isolate ourselves and say, hey, I'll get back in a Christian community after the crisis is over. But God has given you video chat for a reason, right? He's given you a phone for a reason. He's given you the ability to send text messages or to send text messages, to send Snapchat, Facebook Messenger, Instagram direct message, Twitter direct message, whatever else there's out there, TikTok, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff going on out there, but you can use so many ways to connect with people. And God is saying in this hour, you need to engage your brothers and sisters in Christ and make sure they're doing okay. So for those of you, which is hopefully all of you that are discipling somebody, you need to continue discipling them even in this season. Or if you're being discipled, you need to keep asking uh, your discipler or your mentor to, or to meet with you and to pour into you. And you need to encourage them as well during this season. And also just encourage your peers in the Lord. Continue going to small group. Continue being a part of what God is doing in community. I also think this looks like fasting and praying and asking God for revival. I think it looks like getting really serious about asking God to move in this hour. Overall, Boldly engaging during this crisis looks like going after Jesus and people with everything we have. That's what God is calling us to do. He's not calling us to hit the brakes. He's calling us to hit the gas pedal down. Say it's time to rise up. It's time to engage. But the thing tonight that I want you to know is you cannot and I cannot do this on my own strength. We cannot do it on our own strength. These are uncertain days. These are days where there's so much to worry about. Before the corona crisis, this generation was the most anxious generation there's ever been, right? And now we have this on top of it. So these are uncertain days, right? You cannot do it on your own. Instead, you need Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit to help you. And the best way to get the courage to lay down your life and to love people in this moment is to look to the cross of Jesus Christ and, and to see that in a moment when he could have just stayed in heaven, he could have said, hey, I'm gonna leave them in their sin. I'm gonna leave them in their crisis of death. In that moment, he came out of heaven and laid down his life for the world. If we're gonna boldly engage the world with the love of Jesus, we need the love of Jesus in our hearts. We need to see what Jesus did for us and allow that to compel us outward to our friends and to our community. 1 John 3.16 says this. It says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. My prayer for us is that we could know the love of Jesus that caused him to lay down his life. And we could respond to that love in this important hour by laying down our lives for our friends. The main idea tonight is this. We must respond to this crisis moment with repentance and courage. With repentance and courage. With humble boldness. That's what God is calling us to do in this hour. I don't know where you're at tonight. I wish I could see your faces. I love this moment on Tuesday nights when I can see your faces and kind of see what the Holy Spirit's doing. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what God's speaking to you. I feel like there's some of us who are watching tonight and you tuned in because you're confused about what life is about right now. You're confused about what's happening in the world. You put your hope in a lot of different things and all those things have been taken away from you in this hour. And you're wondering, what is life actually about? 
and you don't have relationship with Jesus yet, you haven't put your faith and your trust in him, and tonight you tuned in because you're wondering that, hey, maybe God has something to say to me tonight. And if this is like a last ditch effort for you, just to see if God is real, I just want you to know tonight that I've been praying for you. And I believe that God has something to say to you tonight. I believe that God wants you to know that you are more sinful and flawed than you could ever imagine. So that's not really that exciting, right? But at the same time, you're more loved than you could ever dream. So even in the midst of your mess, God loves you. God loves you right where you're at. And he wants to call you in to a relationship with him. You know, maybe tonight you're wondering, does God really love me? You're wondering, you know, why would God allow this evil and suffering to come into our world? You're wondering, does God really care about us? And I wanna encourage you that if you're wondering if God cares about us in the midst of suffering, if you're wondering if God is good, if there's suffering in the world, the best place to look to see that God is good is to see that, that Jesus bore the greatest suffering on the cross on our behalf. And the fact that Jesus came down from heaven and he died on the cross for our sins showed us that God is not unconcerned with our suffering. He wants to alleviate it. And God has alleviated the greatest suffering that any of us could experience, which is separation from him by sending his son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for our sins. Not only that, but Jesus rose up out of the grave. So I pray tonight that if you don't know Jesus, or maybe you once did, but you walked away, that tonight that that message, that that good news, that, that Jesus bore all the suffering on him so you could be saved. I pray that, that would change you tonight. I pray that would I pray that that would change you. Romans 5, 8 says that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I pray that that would transform you in this hour. I think there's others of us watching tonight and you're a Christian, but you're full of fear. You're full of uncertainty. You haven't been walking in peace. When you think about John 20, where Jesus says, peace be with you, you're like, I'm not walking in any peace right now. And I wanna encourage you tonight that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you that God has placed everything inside of you that you need to walk in peace in this hour. He's given you everything you need to look fear in the face and to choose courage in the midst of it. He wants you tonight to repent of misplaced trust and to rise up in this moment and to lay aside your own interest for others. Because when you do that, when you lay aside yourself, when you get outside your own head and say, I'm gonna give my life for others, when you do that, that's when we get courage, that's when we get peace. Because we're saying, it's not about me, it's about others, it's about God. It's about being used in this moment. I just pray tonight that you would get outside of your head and that Jesus would defeat that anxiety and fear inside of you. That you'd hear the words of the apostle Paul when he spoke to Timothy. And he said, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but he's given you a spirit of power and love and self-control. That is your inheritance if you're a follower of Jesus. And I pray tonight that that power and that love and that self-control would become so real to you in this moment. That a spiritual awakening would happen on the inside where your certainty is not dictated by outside circumstances, but it's dictated by Jesus and the fact that he's a trustworthy king. Finally, there's others of us who are Christians and you're not afraid, but, but up until this point, you haven't really realized the gravity of this moment. You've just been kind of waiting for it to pass by. And tonight Mordecai is coming to you and he's saying, hey, maybe God has called you for such a time as this. And I pray that you'd be like Esther and say, if I perish, I perish. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay my life down for the world. I'm gonna lay my life down for Jesus. That, that in this moment, you would rise up and boldly engage the world. John 20, 21 says this, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That's our commission tonight, to be sent perhaps to our computer screens or to you know, phone calls, but, but to be sent out to boldly engage our world.
Let's rise up tonight. Let's rise up. Let's repent of misplaced trust. Let's seek God and let's boldly engage the world. If we do that, God is gonna purify the church in this hour. He's gonna make a beautiful church out of this mess. And God is gonna use us for decades to come to see more and more of the world come to know him. All right, I wanna pray with you now. So there's two ways to respond every week at Chi Alpha. The first way is this. If you tuned in tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, but tonight you wanna put your faith and trust in him, it's really simple. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. So it's simply putting your trust in Jesus. If that's you, I can't have you raise a hand or anything, but I can have you fill out a card online on the connect screen on that link, uh, the Northern Iowa xa.com slash connect. Fill out that form and tell us that you made a decision. But I wanna pray for you right now as you're at home and you just pray in your heart. Just pray and say, God, I need you. Jesus, I confess that you're Lord. So let's pray. Jesus, tonight for those of us who are tuning in, who wanna put our trust in you, God, tonight we just place all of our hope in you. Jesus, we place all of our hope in the fact that you went up on a cross and you died for us. God, I pray that that would change us tonight. And God, I pray that our hope would not be built on sinking sand. Our hope would not be built on anything of this world, but instead on the fact that you rose from the grave, Jesus. God, we love you. All right, the second way to respond is this. If if you're just feeling like God is calling you to seize this moment, to rise up and and to repent of misplaced trust and, and to boldly engage the world with his love, I want you to pray with me as we ask God to deposit this power inside of us so we can be all that he's called us to be. So let's pray. Jesus, tonight, we just ask you to use us in this hour. God, I don't wanna let this hour pass us by. Instead, God, I wanna repent of the things I'm putting my trust in that aren't you. God, as a community, we wanna repent of those things that we're putting our hope in that's not you tonight. And God, we wanna boldly engage the world. So I just pray that the spirit of God would empower us in this hour to be all that we're called to be. All right, God, we love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. You know, usually after our services, we can pray with you and, and there's still a way to do that. If you wanna get prayer, we encourage you to go to our website, to the prayer link on the video and to submit your prayer request or your praise report in. And one of our team members is gonna get in touch with you and pray with you. All right, guys, thank you so much for coming. We hope you have an amazing week and make sure, Kyle, for students, that you join your virtual small groups this week. All right, we love you so much and we're praying for you.